You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. You know, most of life's problems, sadness, misery, flows out of such a kind of an attitude. You know, rejecting that love of God. But God loves us today. He doesn't want any of us to die in our sins. He desires that we experience life in the true sense of that word. And that's why we read, notice there in verse 9, once again, one of the most beloved promises anywhere in the Bible. God is not willing that any should perish. The world is not getting better. In fact, each day it continues to deteriorate. Conflicts and wars are happening around the world. Sin is everywhere. Hardship and worry rule the thoughts of many. Pastor Mike shares today that when you read Scripture and compare it to these events, you see more and more clearly that Jesus' return is sooner rather than later. So, are you prepared? Maybe today you need to know where you'll end up when Jesus does come back. It's time to make a choice. Will you choose salvation? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 as he begins his message, Prepared and Ready. and grab your Bibles, and we'll pick up where we left off last time. The text that we're going to be treating is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. So let's go ahead and read that text, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. And this now is probably one of the most precious promises in all of God's Word. And it really reveals something to us about the heart of God. Notice it says, But is long-suffering towards us, God is long-suffering towards us, and He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and uh, godliness? So Peter here, the writer, is drawing a conclusion. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent Let's begin in that word of prayer. Father, we pray now that you bless our time together as we treat this text of Scripture. 
God would ask that your Holy Spirit would open it up to us. Lord, that we would learn all of the lessons that are contained within it. Lord, that we receive all of the exhortations. Lord, that it would serve us and prepare us, Lord, for your coming back for the, of the church. God, we thank you. Bless now, God, let my words be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so to set up, let's back up a little bit. In this section of Peter's epistle, he's been addressing those false teachers. And the argument that had been put forth by these false teachers here is that since thousands of years had passed without any intervention on God's part, it would be unreasonable to expect such an unbelievable event to take place such as Christ's second coming. Well, Peter had already reminded them of at least once when God intervened in the affairs of man. Remember in verse 6, he refers to the flood in the days of Noah, verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. So, it becomes then quite obvious that if God interrupted the ordinary order of civilization once, well, then he could do it again. So he informs these perverters of the truth, notice there in verse 8, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. You see, time is a non-factor with God. We're all hung up with time in our time continuum, time frames. And isn't it true that man puts everything uh, together in categories of uh, time? And it actually influences our emotions. But listen, God is not bound by uh, time. One day, notice what we're told here in our text, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years, one day to God. Now, also notice there in verse 9, we are told that the Lord is not slack or tardy. The idea here is that uh, there is a moment appointed for Christ's second coming, coming back for his church. Uh, the reason for any delay, as we may perceive it, as if God is delaying his coming back for his church, is because, notice, he is long-suffering. He is extraordinarily patient. Let me give you a couple of cross-references. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 33, in verse 11, there we are told that God, is God is speaking through Ezekiel, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's an Old Testament example. Let me give you a New Testament example. You know, we have this wonderful picture of Jesus in the Gospel according to Luke, He's uh, on the Mount of Olives, and he's looking back upon the city of Jerusalem, and he is weeping. It's recorded for us in Luke's Gospel in chapter 13, in verse 34. And in that text, we get a sense of his tender love for all of his uh, people. So in Luke's Gospel in chapter 13, in verse 34, there we are told, as Jesus is crying out, he's lamenting over Jerusalem. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under its wings, but you were not uh, willing. And so in the same manner today, countless numbers of people around the world are rejecting God himself. 
and his love. You see, the reason why is that they're just too busy. They're indifferent as it relates to the things of God. And in spite of all he has done for mankind, they still reject him. Spurning the love of God. You know, God would say to all of us, My child, I love you. I gave my son to die for you. He shed his blood for you. He paid the penalty of your uh, sin. And many would respond nonchalantly and answer and ignoring his love. You know, most of life's problems, sadness, misery, flows out of such a kind of an attitude. You know, rejecting that love of God. But God loves us today. He doesn't want any of us to die in our sins. He desires that we experience life in the true sense of that word. And that's why we read, notice there in verse 9, once again, one of the most beloved promises anywhere in the Bible, God is not willing that any should perish. So, what do we need to do? We need to come to him before it's too late. Men may procrastinate. They may ridicule his coming back. But notice what it says there in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Now, this day of the Lord, that phrase, what does it refer to? Well, it encompasses everything from the rapture of the church, the seven years of tribulation, purging the earth by fire, to Christ's second coming, and the establishing of his millennial uh, kingdom. So that encompasses all of, when we refer to that phrase, the day of the Lord. And all that man has produced through the years of stress and toil will be completely destroyed as part of the preparation of the earth for the eternal habitation of the redeemed of the Lord. Now, also notice, let's go back to verse 10 here for a moment. We are told that Jesus will come as a thief in the night. That is, in the sense, the time is unknown. In Luke's Gospel, in chapter 12, in verse 39, there we are told, Jesus himself said, If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken uh, into. But we don't know the day nor the hour. We don't know the time. You know, if we did, it would, be, it would help us to be more prepared. We would be ready. And we wouldn't allow the thief to break in. Could you imagine if one day you were in your home, relaxing in your living room, and all of a sudden your phone rang. You picked up the phone, and on the other end there was a fellow who told you that at 12 midnight this evening he was going to break into your home, not to bother you while you're sleeping. Why don't you just take all of your valuables and put them by the front door? This way I won't disturb you after I break in. And I'll just leave and no one will get hurt. Now, could you imagine? How would you respond to that? Well, probably you would get your Uzi out. You would probably mount rockets, uh, launches on the top of your roof of your house. You'd be prepared. You would be ready. But listen, that's exactly the way that we need to be as it relates to Christ's second coming. Yes, we don't know the day, but we do know the signs which precede his coming. In fact, Jesus spoke of those signs in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24. 
And I want you to think about what I'm about to say in relationship to all of what's going on in our world uh, today. Jesus said, just prior to his coming back, that there would be wars and rumors of wars. There would be distress among nations with perplexities or no way out. I want you to think about the conflict that's going on between Ukraine and Russia and our involvement with it and the other nations. And we're perplexed. We don't really know what to do. We don't know how to stop this atrocity. The entire world is in a turmoil. It seems to that there's always a crisis that's taking place around the globe. There's the threat of terrorism that we live with presently, uh, an epidemic of violence in our schools. Think about all of the school uh, shootings. Also, Jesus talked about in the last day there would be pestilences uh, that would exist globally. I want you to think about what we've been going through now with this virus. So listen, Jesus is coming back and he's coming soon. All you have to do is look at the signs and the times. Political leaders of practically every nation are bewildered and confused as they endeavor to keep abreast of the fast-moving events of the day. But as a result, men's hearts are failing them. And that's just another sign of the last uh, days, just prior to Christ coming back. Men's hearts would fail them. So the return of our Lord is near. Folks, it's imminent. He's at the door. He's coming. He's coming unannounced. And when he appears, let me give you something to think about. If you do not know him as your Lord, unfortunately, you'll know him as your judge. So how important is it that you come to him right now if you haven't uh, done so as of yet? But you know what? I fear that millions of people will be wholly unprepared for his return, even as it was in the days of uh, Noah. You know, Noah spent, and it's been estimated that over a hundred years it took Noah to build that ark. And as people would come down to watch him in the building of that uh, great uh, ship, you know, Noah would put down his tools that he was using to build the boat, and he would preach the gospel. And he would warn the people of the impending judgment that was going to come through the flood, 40 days and 40 nights. But they wouldn't listen. But God was patient in his long-suffering. It took him over a hundred years, it's been estimated, for him to build that ship, to build that ark. And no one responded to that message of Noah warning them. In fact, we are told that in the days of Noah, the people were given to eating, drinking, marrying, and given in marriage. So pretty much what's going on uh, today. But notice in verses 11 and 12, let's go back to our text. Here in 2 Peter, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Okay, so there are two obligations, notice here, that are expressed, that are incumbent upon all true believers relative to Christ's second coming. And what are those two obligations, responsibilities? Holiness and evangelism. Okay, so let's take them in that order. First of all, we are to make a commitment to holiness. In fact, uh, we are told in 1 John, as it relates to Christ's second coming, preparing for his second coming, uh, he that hath his hope purifies himself even as he is pure. 
So listen, we prove our belief in his coming by living a holy life. Let me give you another cross-reference for this. In the book of Titus, in chapter 2, in verses 11 through 13, there we are told, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope, Christ coming back for us, and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, notice, Jesus Christ. So, we want to be like Jesus, who is coming again. And we need to draw on His power to live an effectual life of holiness and obedience. We need to walk in the light, even as He is in the light. So, let me ask you this question. Are we playing with sin? rather than abhorring and resisting sin? So, think about it. Here's a Christian. He's clinging to some pet sin. He's enjoying it. But listen, sin is very deceiving. The devil makes it look attractive. But the truth of the matter is it'll only bring misery and destruction. There's no joy or peace or satisfaction to be found in giving yourself over to sin. So how we need to rely upon the operation of the Spirit of God in our lives who gives us that discernment of what is good, what is evil, what is true, and what is false, so that we won't succumb to temptation. We need to surrender our lives completely, following Him closely in a life of holiness. You know, in the Old Testament, here's another cross-reference for you, in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 11, in verse 45. And this would be continuing these exhortations throughout the entire Bible, Old and New Testament alike. This is God's requirement of His people. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So holiness, that's the first responsibility that's placed upon us here in our text. And then secondly, Christ coming back should inspire us to evangelism. That is to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to get the gospel out. If it involves taking the time, the energy, using the resources that we have available to us to get the gospel out, well, that's what we need to do. All of which to spread the gospel, to share the gospel. Notice that word there in verse 12, hastening. That is, hastening onward the day of God. Now, we're not re- that doesn't refer to, you know, changing God's timetable for his coming back, but rather being used as instruments in accomplishing the event which precedes the day of the Lord. And so when Jesus returns, listen, he expects all of us uh, that he would find us working for him. Let me give you another cross-reference in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24, verses 45 and 46. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom the master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. So listen, gang, we need to be busy. We need to be giving out that bread of life to those who are spiritually destitute, to those who haven't made a decision for Christ. For those who don't even know Christ. Listen, gang, the return of Christ is more than some study topic. It is a call to the army of God to march, 
to act and evangelize. You know, there's this story that took place many years ago, actually in the late 1800s, a great missionary, a veteran missionary to the country of India, and uh, he went home back to Scotland while he had been on the mission field for many years there in India. He had become sick and ill. He was in great feebleness at this time, and he was actually preparing to go home to be with the the Lord. And once again, this fellow's name is Alexander Duff. Well, anyway, going back to Scotland, he appeared before the Scotch Presbyterian Assembly and pleaded for more missionaries to be sent to India. In the midst of his appeal, he fainted. Remember, he was feeble-minded. He had already become sick and was taken into another room. After physicians had worked over him for some time, he finally recovered consciousness When he realized where he was, he said, I didn't finish my appeal. Take me back and let me finish it. But they told him they could do it only at the peril of his life. He said, I'll do it if I die. So they led the white-haired veteran back into the assembly hall. And as he appeared at the door, those present sprang to their feet as one man to greet him. And they listened in tearful and breathless silence to the grand old hero of the cross. He said, Fathers and mothers of Scotland, it is true that you have no more sons to send to India? In the form of a question, he asked with trembling voice, There is money in the bank to send them, but where are the laborers who will go into the field? When Queen Victoria calls for volunteers for her army in India, you freely give your sons and say nothing about the trying climate of that land. But when the Lord Jesus calls for volunteers, you say, We have no more sons to give. Then turning to the moderator of the assembly, he said, Mr. Moderator, if it is true that Scotland has no more sons to give to Christ for India, then although I lost my health in that land and came home to die, I will be off tomorrow and go back to the shores of the Ganges and lay my life down as a witness for Christ to let India's millions know that there is at least one Scotsman who is ready to die for them. So, why did he act so, create such a scene? Well, the answer is, he was a man with a burden. He was a man with a vision. He was someone who believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. So, do we really believe that he is coming soon? Well, if we do, let us commit ourselves wholly to the will and the work of the Lord. That in these days of wickedness and rank unbelief, we shall become instruments of holiness and power in the hands of a mighty God. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my This has been another edition of In My Father's House, the ministry of Harvest Christian Fellowship with Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining us. The book of 2 Peter teaches the importance of growing in your faith. When you accept Jesus' free gift of salvation, it doesn't end there. Jesus transforms you beginning that first day. And he continues to do so as you allow him access to your life. 
Each new truth you hear from God's Word has the potential to change you, but you have to decide to let it. It's our desire at In My Father's House to present Jesus to you through each program, and we pray He's already making an impact in your life. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, visit HarvestNYC.org and click on the Resource tab. We invite you to visit us, too. Join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. To find out more and reserve your seat, visit HarvestNYC.org. Or just join us online for worship through the live stream if you can't be with us in person. We'd be honored if you join us in any way you are able to. Be sure to sign up for our email list for daily devotionals and the latest event information at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We'd also ask that you prayerfully consider supporting the ministry of In My Father's House through donation. We appreciate every gift given and will use it to reach more people with the Word of God. Find out more and donate securely online by clicking the Donate tab at HarvestNYC.org. Thanks for giving and for being a part of today's listening audience right here on In My Father's House. Oh, my heart not be troubled.